God bless you all. You may be seated. What a privilege to be here, to feel his presence as we have. Even in a short moment, right? Even in a short moment, God can move in such a way that it makes everything else seem so irrelevant. Our problems, our burdens, and even, even a, a message to come later. When he moves in that way that touches our souls, it's really what we need, you know, more than, more than what the preacher has to say. That's not to minimize the preaching. We know that it's important according to Scripture. But nothing, nothing moves and touches like His Spirit sweeping in. Sweeping in. Amen. I will likely be very short today, but those are famous last words, aren't they? You never really know. But I just wanted to take our attention today to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12 and I'm going to read just one verse to get us started I haven't preached from this story in a while but um, I want to talk about David for a minute 2nd Samuel chapter 12 and I want to just read verse 20 then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. And so for just a minute, I want to talk to us about this. Why not? Why not worship? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your presence and for your people. Help me, I pray, right now to speak something worth hearing, something from heaven. Lord, let your anointing be upon me. Bless, God, my words, and bless our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen, amen. Students of Scripture, I think, easily fall in love with David, King David, or Shepherd David, or Warrior David. He expresses so much of humanity that we easily identify with. Anybody here ever had an emotional high? Shout amen. amen. Anybody here ever, ever have an emotional low, like real, real low? Shout amen. 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 Well, that's David's whole life, isn't it? He just kind of climbs up a mountain and falls off a cliff. And he climbs up a mountain and he falls off a cliff and, and he just kind of keeps happening like a roller coaster ride. And we somehow, I think, find ourselves in him some way or other. David, after great, great trial to his own safety through Saul, becomes king. Eventually the day comes that had been marked through the prophet Samuel coming to him many years before. Many years before. He was just a boy. And Samuel came to him and anointed him with oil, passing over his other brothers, you will recall. For it would have made a lot of sense to his father Jesse, oh, you're here to see the oldest. No, not the oldest. You're here to see the next one, the next one. 
Certainly you don't want little scrawny young David. We left him with the stinky sheep because we knew you were coming. We'll go and fetch David, and he's just a lad, just a, a young boy, and he's anointed. Perhaps David really had no clue that day what that would mean. Let's say beyond perhaps quite likely he had no idea what that would mean. Even if it was told to him, you're going to be king, he certainly had no idea the responsibility, the struggles, the adversity that would come his way. Nonetheless, he does one day finally become king, first over part of the kingdom and then in Jerusalem. But as it is so many times, and here it is, we, we can kind of identify with David again. As it is in life, when we think we have arrived at the destination, when we think we have arrived where we need to be, we let down our guard. We stop trying the way we need to try. We stop conditioning ourselves and disciplining ourselves and submitting ourselves the way we need to. When we think, I have arrived at the destination, it can't get any better, I don't have to try anymore, or however you would like to phrase it today, and some people think that that's a problem with life, right? That we are constantly moving the goalposts. But folks, we constantly move the goalposts because we need something to reach for. Amen? That may not sound spiritual, but consider the words of Paul. Not as though I had attained, but I press towards that mark of the high calling of God in Christ, right? I, I'm not attaining it. I'm constantly pressing towards Jesus. I'm constantly pushing forward to something better and deeper and greater. But we struggle with this as, as humans because it's exhausting to keep trying. Can I get an amen, amen. from anybody who woke up today tired? Amen. amen. <laughs> hey, it, it, it costs us effort to be good parents. Amen. It costs us effort and time to be a good spouse. And it costs us time and effort to be a good Christian. Amen. Amen. And perhaps if you're just a, a young one today, it costs you time and effort to be a good student. It costs you time and effort to be a good child, to be respectful. It, it, it costs you time and effort and energy to do what you need to do in this world. Sometimes, though, we like to check out. And David, we find at a susceptible moment when he meets Bathsheba. His armies have grown. His power has grown. This time I don't need to go fight in the battle. For I have conquered Goliath. I have overcome the Philistines. I have endured and outlasted Saul. I just like to have a vacation. I just like to have a break And it's okay to have a break from life like a vacation. But what guards us and guards our spirituality, well, folks, we can't take a vacation from Jesus. We can't take a vacation from our obligation to be subservient to him, to be submitted to him. Amen? Amen. But you will recall the story that as he's supposedly, I guess, not on a vacation but a staycation, in the kingdom 
And he looks out and beholds Bathsheba. Lust grabs a hold of his heart. And he commits adultery with her and arranges her husband's death on the battlefield. But David, as egregious as the sin was, as imperfect as he was, as much as we can fault him for many things, he still did love Bathsheba. And he still did love the child she was carrying and bore. And Nathan the prophet comes to him, says, David, thou art the man. You're the one that's living in sin. You're the one that has committed the atrocity. And we find after the judgment of God comes that this child would be taken from David. He would not survive. Sickness would fall upon it. We find David, as I suppose many parents would be, fasting, praying, hoping that God would change his mind. Hey, if you've ever wanted God to change his mind, won't you say amen? Amen. And if he ever has not done it the way you wanted it to be done, won't you say amen? Amen. amen. But in the meantime, we still pray. And maybe we fast. And maybe we, maybe we are very poor and low of spirit. And maybe everyone else around us says, what is wrong with them? They need to do this and they need to do that. And they need to blah, blah, blah and yada, yada, yada. But hopefully you're working it out with God and not working it out with the counsel of your own will. For your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it, the Bible says. Which is why we're in such a, a struggle against our modern world because it lives on the whims of its feelings. They can just wake up one day and say, I'm a man. And they can wake up the next day and say, I'm a woman. And they can wake up the next day and say, I'm a dragon. Because that's what I feel like today. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? What a powerful lesson for us to learn as humans that we don't know what we want. Though we think we do. Or at least we know what we want only in the very temporary sense. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, every time you drive past Krispy Kreme, you want a donut. But if you looked in the mirror, you might hear another voice that says, I don't want a donut. Or at least I don't need a donut. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? David prays and he fasts and a week goes by after the judgment was made and finally the child dies. And once he knows that the child is dead, he rises from the earth, washes, anoints himself, changes his apparel, came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. 
then came down to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, what is, what is it that you've done? We don't understand. You fasted, and you, you did weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, you did rise and eat. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He arose, and he took a bath, and he worshiped. And I ask you today, why not worship? Thankfully, not every family in this congregation has felt the sting of losing a child, although some associated with us have. Thankfully, you don't have to bear that burden. But that doesn't mean you haven't lost other things. That doesn't mean the devil hasn't attacked you. That doesn't mean that you perhaps haven't created, like David, your own storm and your own problem, even unwittingly created problems for yourself and problems for your family that have caused you loss. Can I hear an amen from anybody who may have created a little hell for themselves in their life? But though problems continue and though problems persist and though a storm rages on, why not worship him anyhow? You don't know when the Lord might step in. You don't know when the Lord might be gracious. You don't know when the Lord might say, today is your day for a miracle. So though you have lost things, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But why not worship him anyhow? Blessed be the name of the Lord because he's still good and his mercy still endures forever. And his gospel is still true and he still died on that old rugged cross and his blood still purges me from every sin. So why not worship him? And why not pray? Why not pray today and why not pray tomorrow? You know, you will go through seasons as a child of God that you do not feel him. Someday, if the Lord is gracious enough to me, I'm going to write a book about the evolution of our relationship with God. Man's evolution of how we, how we engage with him. And I, I think it's just about universal that the first thing that draws us to God is feeling, emotion. We get around his presence and we don't know what it is. But we say, you know, I like it. Whatever is in this room, it's real and I like it. If you're an outsider and you start hearing someone speak in tongues, you say, what is that? That is nonsense, but I like it. Or you get scared of it, but there's something there and it's undeniable. But what draws people first is emotion. And that hopefully grows into knowledge and that hopefully grows into trust. There's a whole lot of finite minutiae maybe in between there. But what draws us first is emotion. And as I said, there will be times that you do not feel him. You might think to yourself, I don't feel him. So maybe I had it wrong all along. 
Maybe now it's not true. Maybe now it's not real. Maybe now, maybe I, maybe I missed something beforehand. And you're missing this point that he's trying to bring you to a deeper level or, or, or more understanding in him. He's trying to move you to something that's bigger and better than just feeling. Why? Because feelings can betray you. But when you get to know God and when you have a relationship built with him on trust, it, it can out last your feelings amen so why not pray a little bit more even when you don't feel him why not worship a little bit longer even when you don't feel him why not serve him all the better even when you don't feel him yeah. I've lost some I lost my child but I'll worship anyhow something tells me that David did not feel did not feel like everyone would be happy to see him go to the house of the Lord. You know, word tends to spread. People probably knew, or at least some of them probably definitely knew what had happened. And that would make most people ashamed. I can't go to church. I can't go and worship. Everybody would be looking at me in judgment. Well, who cares? Because you're not here for me. And I love you, but I'm not here for you. Or not, not only, I'm here for Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm here for Holy Ghost and fire. I'm here first and foremost. I'm called out from this world like you to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and put us in marvelous light. Hey, we are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're the children of God. We've been baptized in his name. We've been filled with something miraculous. Let's worship him even if people are in judgment on us. Let's worship him and pray to him and love him even if everyone else thinks that we're a hypocrite. Let's love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, mind, and strength. Why not worship him anyhow? Because the truth is they'll get over it. They might need a minute. They might not need a week. They might need a year. And if they need longer... Worship anyway, and love them anyway, and serve them and help them and forbear them anyway. Love the Lord anyhow. Serve him anyhow. You're not here to serve for man. You're not here to serve for the teacher, the preacher, the song leader. you got to be here for him. And though the loss can be so acute and so sharp you got to understand the business that God is in God is not in the business of abandoning his children David went through the greatest loss I suppose that we really can go through and I hope I never find out but he loses the child And he says there in verse 23, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The finality of it all, right? The finality of the death. I will die someday. I will go where he is, but he's never coming back to me. God has a way of 
of starting over that man does not have. You know, in, in the book of Genesis, we read about early on Cain and Abel, right? Cain becomes jealous. He kills his brother. He becomes a vagabond, and they're really, really, he's kind of written out of history almost in, in a sense. Not completely, but, but this is no longer the lineage of God. What are Adam and Eve to do? But as we continue to read, then comes Seth. And God, in the accounting of the lineage, just decides to start all over. It doesn't have to be brought up again that Cain killed Abel and what Abel might have been and what Cain might have been. He just says, it's over. The generations of Adam and Eve, they bore Seth. God has a way of restoring, renewing, giving back even years to people. I believe that. God can do that. So David, in this finality, thinks that there is no way to change it. I've done what I could. I prayed and I fasted, and when I didn't get what I want, I worshiped anyway. And so I trudge on. But what does the very next verse say? David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. Went in unto her, lay with her, and she bore a son. And that son was Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, the next king. The point being, God takes your sin. If you are humble enough and turns it into something miraculous, turns it into something you never saw coming, Gives you more than you thought you could receive. David wanted to build a temple to the Lord, a permanent place of worship. But he said, no, David, not you, but your son. But you killed my son. But there's another one coming. You just can't see it. There's still a miracle coming. There's still an answer coming. There's still a blessing coming. Yes, you've had loss. Yes, you've had trouble. Yes, you feel like your guts are strung all over the place. But God has not forgotten you. God sees right where you are. Just understand that while you're going through the trouble, it's not time to give up. It's not time to abandon worship. It's time to stand up, clean yourself up, go to church, serve the Lord with gladness, love him still and love people still and, and, and just bask in the wonderful presence of the Lord. So why not? Why not worship? Because he can take all that is awful, all that is awful, and can, he can rise up kings, greatness, and blessing in you. Little old you, little old messed up, troubled you, Little old geeked out, full of insecurities and, and all kinds of junk. Oh, I wish I had a witness right now. I mean, if you're like me anyway, got all kinds of problems up in your brain. I talked to our, our Wednesday night class about a technology that is arising, is being used in China where employers are using wearable devices to, to read the brainwaves of their, their employees. I'm giving you the short version here. Of course, I would never work for a company like that. 
I don't trust them to read my brainwaves and how that technology will grow. I don't want them in my head, and I don't know why they would want to be in my head. <laughs> I can tell you right now, every single person here, I don't want to be in your head. I don't trust it. It will freak me out to be in your head. I just believe that. And I believe if you got in my head, you'd be like, man, I am not talking to that guy ever again. I'm getting out of this church. I'm getting out of his way. He's messed up. And you're right. The world we live in. God can make it all, all right. God can take a mind that's like that, that's full of trouble, that's full of issues, and works all things, not after your counsel, but the counsel of his own will. So he can take all that trouble, he can take all that sin, he can take all that that junk and gunk. Why do you keep using words junk and gunk? It's like this. All that is in the world is the Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Can I just say it that way? All that's in our minds in some way or other, that's what it is. He can take all of that, and he can wash it clean, and he can take the smallest of things and bring about the greatest of things. So why not worship? Why not? Even in the darkest of days, would you stand with me? Even in the most troubling of times, if our musicians would come. Even when you really don't understand anything. And folks, I think that the older each of us gets, the more we realize we don't understand so many things. We grow in knowledge. We grow in wisdom. But part of that growth... Is, is truly the understanding that there's so much that we just, we just can't figure out. We just can't make change the way we want it to, right? If you're like me, you think, it'd be nice if everyone would just listen to me. And you just do it my way, it'd all be better. You know, there's so much that we would want to force to change. And we can't. As we get older, we understand that. But, but that's when we hopefully come to the realization it's in your hands Lord it's in your hands my life my sin my trouble my anxieties they're all in your life so so I'm gonna worship you anyhow I can't change it I'm gonna worship you anyhow got no reasons not to do it I'm gonna love you anyhow I'm gonna pray to you anyhow I'm gonna sing to you anyhow All the reasons I could list to not do it, all of you could too. And all of them are nothing compared to the glory we might attain. Do you believe that? The glory we might attain on the other side. Come on, do you believe that? To be in heaven with Jesus forever. Why not worship him? Would you raise your hands and begin to speak to the Lord today? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Surely the presence 
into here we felt his anointing and his power I hope and pray that you can share that with someone else either today or tomorrow some point this week and let the glory shown upon you shine forth from you and bless someone else Lord we thank you for your mighty touch and your anointing here today Lord you are gracious and mighty and wonderful to us go with us this week Keep us close to your heart. Keep, keep us, O oh God, righteous and holy. Bring us back here safely, O oh God, Wednesday and next Sunday, ready to worship again and to feel you in a new and in a fresh way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.